Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 20 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Becchione. Welcome to today's episode. Welcome to today's episode. It's September and it's FASD Awareness Month. Today, we are having a Facets Friday episode with Suzanne Emery. Welcome to FASD Hope. I've been waiting a long time to say this, but it's a Facets Friday episode. Hooray, we haven't had one in a long time. And we're with one of my favorite guests, Suzanne Emery, who is a facets facilitator and trainer, as well as uh, we've had her on several times, not only for facets, but for her ministry and just for the wonderful work that she is doing. And today we are talking about, I think we have never covered this topic on FASD Hope. So I think this will be a great conversation. Today, Suzanne is going to talk to us about if you have a spouse or a partner whether you suspect he or she might have an FASD or if it's confirmed that they have an FASD. Um, We're going to talk about that, which I think will be such a resource to our listeners. So with that very lengthy introduction, welcome back, Suzanne Emery. Thank you so much. It is always a joy and privilege to be here with you. So Suzanne, before we start, can you just quickly tell me what's going on in the world of facets so that we can update our listeners with if there's anything coming up? Well, a good place to um, see what's going on is the the facets website, which is www.facets.org. And we are continually having... um, workshops, which are currently 12 hours, but they're going to be extended to 18 or 19 hours to cover more material. So the next workshop that we're offering will be in the fall. And um, there is also um, always the opportunity for people who have already taken the training that want to become trained facilitators of the FACETS neurobehavioral model to enter into the one year long training of facilitators program. You can also find that online. Um, so yeah, we are, we're busy and it's wonderful that the word is getting out through um, venues like this, FASD Hope. And I think more and more people all the time are understanding in a deeper, more clear way um, the meaning behind behaviors and then with through the brain-based model, really finding how healing and transforming and really the most effective way to be able to respond and support people on the fetal alcohol and any other neurobehavioral spectrum or condition. Yes. So thank you for that update. Um, I have several friends who have been guests who are taking the, the facilitator training. So I'm really excited that they will be facilitators soon. And we joke that it would be great if every state had at least one, if not two or three facilitators, um, you know, every state in the U.S. That would that would be like a dream. That would be a really cool. It would be wonderful. There's even people, you know, that have 
taken um, and are taking the facilitator training in other countries. So how awesome would it be? I love that. Right. Oh my goodness. I love that. So that information will include in today's program notes, as well as you can visit um, the uh, facets website on our link on FASDhope.com. So today we're going to talk about marriage and FASD. Now, often when we talk about marriage and FASD, we think of parents and their children, but we're, we're coming at it from a different lens today. So Suzanne, before we start, I know you mentioned that you've been working with um, just some, you've previously worked with some people about this. What brought you to this topic of today's conversation? Mm-hmm. This is one of the really amazing things that happens with the facets trainings. I think it's very common that people come to the training, often parents wanting education on how to help understand and support their children, sometimes professionals as well, right? Trying to understand better how to help people on the fetal alcohol or another neurobehavioral spectrum. But what I find happens very frequently is those people that come hearing um, about fetal alcohol and the characteristics of people that have been prenatally exposed to alcohol, all of a sudden um, there's this like, aha, light bulb, like sometimes, oh my gosh, maybe I'm on this spectrum. Maybe my husband's on this spectrum. Maybe my neighbor's on this spectrum or my parents or people that we had never thought of through this lens. And so um, I would say in the last, especially in the last um, year or so, I have had several, um, they happen to be uh, wives that have e- somehow or another heard either gone through the facets training themselves or heard a podcast or um, I have sent out a, a bi-monthly newsletter for my ministry created to be free and the people that um, are ministry partners with us. And so through one of those, um, I have had people come to me to say, you know, I wonder if my husband, is on the spectrum. This is like making more sense. And, and I have just realized how alone um, these people feel in their marriages because they could have been understanding for years uh, the conflict or the heaviness or what's not working um, one way. And then when they kind of discover this, it feels very alone and who can they talk to and who would understand. So I brought it up to Natalie because I'm trying to actually um, get some kind of a kind of support group for spouses who think their spouse might be on the spectrum because it's a very particular group of people I feel that are, um, yeah, living a very particular journey as they maybe discover this. And I can only imagine, Suzanne, how isolated they must feel, because when we talk about FASD, it's usually we talk about our loved ones or or if it's a professional or a teacher, maybe a student or something. Very rarely do we talk about FASD and NB with spouses and partners. So I, I'm just so thankful that you um, you're talking about this today. So so let's start from the beginning. If 
you are an individual and you're having difficulties in your marriage, um, how can that person determine if fetal alcohol or neurobehavioral diagnosis is something that they should explore? Mm-hmm. I would say from what we know today, um, through research, um, the prevalence of fetal alcohol, which we know now that in the United States could be one out of every 20 people in the United States has been prenatally exposed to alcohol. Um, the likelihood when there is chronic frustration, things aren't working, we're expecting something of a spouse that they're not responding to. Um, I, I think I think it would be normal and very important to at least ask some of these questions. Is what I'm seeing in my marriage, is it more than a person's not wanting to do something or um, that, you know, they're just being a jerk <laughs> and selfish and irresponsible and, you know, all these words that might be going through our heads with different scenarios and to ask the question like we would, right? When we're understanding our children, I does what I'm observing in this person, I wonder if it has anything to do with the way their brain works or things they might have difficulty with. Um, I'm, I'm to answer that, I'm just gonna give a few little examples of, of people I'm in contact with and how this question kind of came up. Um, I think that, you know, some people on the fetal alcohol spectrum tend to be really fun people to be with. They're a lot of fun. They can be very engaging and emotionally connected. Um, and, um, and so I know several marriages that, that started because it was just fun to be with that person. And, um, for example, I would say men on the fetal alcohol spectrum can be very charming. They can be very, um, um, respectful and like gentlemen. Right. And so, um, like that initial attraction of fun and having fun together. Um, but then as, as life went on, um, the impulsivity is one piece that I think is a big issue for anybody, but in a marriage, like difficulty managing money, right. And our expectations of what, you know, every marriage is different and what we expect of, um, husband role and wife role and all this kind of stuff. But often, um, in Christian homes, the man is kind of seen as like supposed to be the provider and the person, you know, kind of watching out for his family and so um, I know several situations where that is one of the key like problems and issues are finances, right? And, and the person's ability to kind of quote, be responsible and know how to make wise decisions with money and invest money and not be an impulsive spender. And just that chronic tension in finances um, that's a good place to ask the question, what's going on here? Um, I think another, I'm just going to use one other example and then um, 
Natalie, I'll throw it back to you for how you want to, where you want to go with this. Um, I think another piece can be the often, I think what women um, like from a spouse is to be able to have like deep emotional connection and conversations like these back and forth conversations. And I know several couples that um, that piece was also a piece that we began to question um, because we know people on the fetal alcohol spectrum often have a hard time. Like they process more slowly and um, it takes longer. Like when you're asked a question to then be able to respond. And, um, and so there's all kinds of coping mechanisms, right? If that's not happening, sometimes um, the person kind of is random and, you know, talks about random things or they don't really answer our question um, or they're not able to express their own emotions and feelings or be able to, for us to feel like there's any empathy, right? Or understanding of us, because it's very abstract to put yourself in somebody else's place and think how would, you know, the way I'm talking, how would that make this other person feel? Um, so the whole language and communication conversation piece, I think is another piece that we should be curious about if that's not happening at a level that's satisfying and that's causing, again, tension or maybe one spouse is feeling like the other one doesn't care or they don't. Um, so anyway, those are two like big areas I have found in the relationships that I'm kind of supporting that tend to be probably the most frustrating and hurtful sometimes. Wow, Suzanne, this is just such insight into how FASD plays a part in the dysfunction of a marriage or the um, the decreasing, you know, relationship of, of a marriage. So let's talk about behavioral symptoms. We know with FASD and, and neurobehavioral disorders, how would someone know if their spouse were on the FASD or neurobehavioral spectrum? Mm-hmm. Well, FACETS has a tool that we call the exploration tool that is really helpful in exploring um, behaviors that are brain-based versus behaviors that we might see that develop over time when there's a chronic poor fit um, as a result of chronic stress and frustration. So um, in an adult or a spouse-like figure, um, some of the behaviors that could indicate that there are brain changes, either from prenatal alcohol exposure or from a myriad of other reasons, right, um, are things like that the person, you know, they could be in their 50s, but in a lot of ways, they still are kind of like a teenager or an early, like the things they enjoy doing, the things that they say. Um, I know one one couple who the husband like, you know, likes to take selfies of himself like teenagers do, right? And doing things that are, that we would think, oh my gosh, how, how immature, right? You're acting like so immature. So that's, that's one. Another is um, just the whole sensory 
area. Like if you're noticing, and maybe if we're not being observant, we might not know that this is the reason behind, but like if, um, somebody's getting really irritated, like when there's a lot of noise in the house or chaos or, um, you know, gets mad, like if you turn all the lights on, um, there's lots of different pieces of being like overstimulated. This doesn't only happen in children. There's a lot of adults that have sensory issues and it can come out like in anger and frustration. And they might not even realize it's because, oh my gosh, this is like too much for me. Like if there's a lot of kids in the house, right? And one of the parents has a really hard time when there's tons of noise and tons of stuff going on. Um, the nutrition area um, is like we say with kids, right? I mean, just nutritional habits. I know one couple that basically the husband survives on junk food. That's what he goes to all the time. Sugar, sugar, fat, Coke and donuts and, you know, and doesn't eat like what the wife prepare. I mean, he'll like eat a little bit and then he'll go and eat a bag of Oreos. Right. And, and that can be so frustrating. Like if you care about somebody, right. You want them to have good habits or to be a good example to your children. And I mean, it can be a reason behind. I'm, we're not saying this is always the reason that it's a brain-based. Um, what I just uh, mentioned in the two little scenarios previously, the whole language and communication um, piece. So like somebody that's always talking off topic, somebody that it might even feel like they're lying to you, like they're telling you stories and like, it's like, you're trying to piece this all together. And you're like, I don't think that really happened like that. Um, it could be that the person's um, has a um, hard time with like short-term memory and they really can't remember pieces of what's happened when they try to tell a story. Um, or not being able to talk about feelings. Um, we, we also mentioned earlier just the processing pace that a brain is working at. So like when you're trying to have a conversation or you're asking your husband or your wife something and like the answer is often, I don't know, I don't know. Like you don't get like this nice like <laughs> explanation of whatever your question might be. Um, also with like kind of learning and memory stuff, um, you might write as, an, uh, as I imagine, I'm single. So I, I am talking kind of like imagining what this might be like. Um, but in a marriage, like a good team, I imagine you're both like working together and you know, you divvy up what needs to be done. So like somebody that like you might give your husband or your wife, like a list of three things that it would be helpful if they could do that today. And only one thing happens. It's like, what happened to the rest of this list? Or I just told you to go off and, you know, help so-and-so get dressed and then get breakfast and get them to school. And that seems like a chore, right? Like it just doesn't happen. And it could be because of memory issues. Um, often like we talked about finances, so like abstract thinking can be involved here. So if, if it's, um, if your spouse is somebody that math has always been hard, like numbers, um, that has a lot to do with, 
of the ability to manage um, money um, or somebody that's always late, like not being able to understand the concept of time or how long it takes, right, to get ready or to get somewhere. Of course, there are many people in the world that are late for lots of reasons, but if this is like a chronic issue and it's like total frustration, it's always happening, it's worth asking the question, right? Does this person have a hard time understanding time and how long it takes to get somewhere and, and then getting into like executive functioning, like hard time planning and organizing or like sometimes it feels like they don't live in reality, right? Like, oh, we're going to go buy a house in Arizona. And the wife's like, with what money? Oh, everything will work out. It'll be okay. And um, and that's another common characteristic with fetal alcohol that often it's hard to distinguish sometimes reality and fantasy and all the steps that are required to reach a goal or to plan a day or a trip, right? Like families go on trips and go camping or go here or there and just the difficulty of all those details, working all those details out. Um, so those are a lot of the, I mean, I'm just naming a few. We could go on and on and on about all the different behaviors and characteristics that could be linked to brain changes as an indication of either prenatal alcohol exposure or a myriad of other situations in a person's life that may have changed the way their brain works. And those are such wonderful examples, Suzanne, because having taken the facets training twice, I hear so many parallels in what we see with children with those behavioral symptoms. I'm seeing it just in the adult form. You know, I'm, for example, the money, you know, not able to handle family finances well, or like you said, the planning, you know, that, oh, we're just going to go get up and move somewhere and, and not having the executive functioning to, to say, okay, well, that's not going to work. So I see so many parallels. I'm hearing so many parallels between what we learn in children, but okay, here it is. Just here's what it looks like in the adult form. And it totally makes sense. It, it, again, it's just like when you first learn about FA and B and the brain-based, you know, neurobehavioral model, it's just this lens that you just can't unsee. And now it's like, wow, okay, here it is in adults. You can't unsee it anymore. So I, I'm just so thankful that you're sharing this with, with our listeners. And, you know, we get questions from parents that say, well, what difference would it make if, if my kid were to receive a formal diagnosis? Um, I'm sure that spouses and partners are asking the same question. What, what difference would it make in their marriage if they had the official diagnosis of knowing that their uh, loved one was on the fetal alcohol and or neurobehavioral spectrum? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think later on in life, right, when we are starting to understand that behaviors that we may have interpreted one way as more like that the person themselves is responsible for and they're just like not wanting to do certain things. And then we start thinking, oh, you know, what if actually what I'm seeing this person 
can't do whatever, what this whole family is expecting them to do because they actually have an underlying invisible condition um, or their brain works differently, right? And so it's a little bit different than childhood, I think, where there are like, you know, children are in school and, and there's a whole bunch of areas where they're going to need support and a diagnosis can give them, right, resources and open up um, different kinds of supports for them. As an adult, depending on the severity, right, of how difficult it is for this person to function in life, I think the primary value of whether you have a, a formal diagnosis or not, um, for example, using a tool like the fastest exploration tool gives you a pretty good idea if the behaviors that you're seeing are brain-based rather than for some other reason. Um, and it can really change everything. I mean, from, from wife, husband, children, feeling like, you know, this marriage can't continue. Um, this person is a total jerk, a total idiot. They only think about themselves. They can't, you know, function. Um, to like at least having a pause to say, oh my gosh, what if we have not been understanding this whole dynamic correctly? And it's really, I mean, it, it can be an amazing journey of discovery, both for the person, maybe with the fetal alcohol or other neurobehavioral condition, as well as for every single member in that family. Um, it can be just like it is with a child. It can be um, the difference between like kind of just a whole family disintegrating, right? And relationships being destroyed to understanding who a person is and actually that they might need different supports that we had never thought of. And and once they have those supports, and actually a lot of times at that point in life, the person may be really interested also. They've lived long enough with so much stress and frustration that to have like a reason behind the things that have always been difficult for them can also be totally life-changing, right? And it is possible for a whole family to heal, to transform, to figure out who this person is and the supports they need to be able to, you know, um, kind of be, they might not be able to meet our, our current expectations, but we might even get to a place where we can actually enjoy them and everybody can embrace who each person is. Um, and I mean, depending on the severity, it could open up resources through like, if the person's actually having a hard time holding down a job, like through vocational rehab services, trying to figure out a better fit and the supports that person might need to, um, to have a job. Or once we understand who they are and the supports they need, sometimes the person's also able to advocate for themselves like, oh, no wonder this job does not work or I keep getting fired from this job or that job because it requires things of me that I have difficulty with. And unless my boss also understands 
who I am and that I'm not deliberately trying to be irresponsible or not fulfill my duties. So it can help in the job arena. It can help in family relations. It can help really any place this person happens to be as well when there's education um, and understanding to be able to support um, that person and accommodate, just like we would for a child to help them be successful in their relationships with their family, their job, other community um, activities that they're involved in. So I'm hearing the same recurring theme that we've spoken about before, Suzanne, of this would allow the family to accommodate, which we know is, you know, the biggest, one of the biggest things we can do for an individual with an FA and B. Um, so that accommodate not only in the family, but outside all of those spheres outside of the family and then advocate, you know, and, and be an advocate, not only having that, that spouse advocate for him or herself, but also having the family be an advocate for that person too. So, um, yeah, it, again, this is an, another viewpoint that once you know this, especially now in adults, you can't unsee it. You know, once you say, aha, uh-huh. and we've talked about this many times and, and we've shared this um, sentiment uh, many times on the podcast. It also gives you grace for that person. You see them through this lens of okay, you know what? This is a disability. This is a diagnosis that requires accommodation and that requires grace and patience, you know? So I think that, um, again, like you said, having that diagnosis and having that education in the, in the NB model really is, it's transforming. Like you said, it really is transforming. So now, and, and I've actually had a couple of listeners email or message me about this, you know, seeking a diagnosis for an adult. And I can imagine how challenging it is because I know there are quite a few clinics out there, but a lot of them just stop at a certain age um, or, you know, certain stage. So what are the challenges in finding out that a spouse has an FA or NB um, diagnosis or is on that spectrum? Mm-hmm. Well, there's probably several challenges. One is we know, right, that the longer a person lives their life without the understanding of the people around them or themselves, that their brain might work differently, the more what we call these secondary and tertiary symptoms have probably developed over time. So just to summarize briefly for those who may be listening for the first time or have forgotten what those are. Um, when a person has not been interested and everybody around them has been expecting things of them that they really aren't able to do, um, just like any of us, we would develop kind of defensive behaviors that protect us. Um, or that's, the, that's what our, the goal is to try to protect us from pain. And so these are things like um, anxiety, depression, um, kind of being fearful, withdrawn, having a short fuse, getting angry really quickly, frustrated, um, 
Sometimes there can be like addictive kind of behaviors like substance abuse or sexual addictions, um, kind of having a hard time with in conflict, like um, getting like talking back and it might sound like not very respectful the way the person's talking. Um, I mean, sometimes there can, it can't even get to the extreme of having troubles with the law or other things, right? So the longer a person has lived with, and you're seeing these kind of symptoms, um, it's going to be a slow process kind of reversing that, right? It's going to take longer. So it's, um, it's going to require like the, a commitment for a family to go on a journey together to educate themselves on what does this all mean? How do we understand this person? How do we change the way we've currently been understanding and responding to be more in line and a better fit with what they are able to do and really seeing their strengths and their abilities and how they learn and um, what they do well and focusing more on that and helping them be able to use those things rather than focusing on all these things that are like so irritating and they won't do. And um, so that's, that's one piece of the challenge, right? That it will probably take longer to reverse what has been developing over who knows, right? How many decades, depending on how old the person is when we discover this. Um, another challenge can be just the relationships, right? That undoubtedly have been damaged along the way because of misunderstanding. So in the Christian context, as Natalie so beautifully um, mentioned, right? This is where, aside from just the understanding and education, that um, we're all going to need to be willing to forgive, forgive ourselves for what we didn't know when we didn't know it, to forgive the other person because they're not probably, they haven't intentionally hurt everybody around them. Um, and to extend grace and mercy and to do what we can to kind of start shifting how we have been understanding and relating and understanding um, being in relationship with this person. And then yes, right. As an adult, um, it may be harder. You can still get um, at any age a neuropsych evaluation, which is probably the most helpful evaluation of anybody that we suspect may have brain-based condition. Cause that will give us a really clear view on what the person's difficulties are, what their strengths are. And then with that, even as an adult who's never been in, for example, a developmental disability system, they may qualify for disability if they really truly aren't able to hold down a full-time job. Um, they may qualify for help with work situation. Um, or other resources. And I think once again, the challenge often lies on the people around this person being willing to educate everybody, right? Everybody in their family, if you're involved in a church community. And obviously at this stage of the game too, that this person with FANB needs to be okay with that, right? That people know about this and that um, they want support and they want others to understand 
So it's just kind of a whole different level of communication, of working together, of educating, of seeing what resources are available um, to help this person really be who they are and receive the supports they need to be who God created them to be. As always, Suzanne, I, I love talking with you because you remind us that in this journey, no matter what age, in this journey, it's not about you, you can't change the way a person's brain is or has become. What you need to, just like with any other diagnosis, what you need to change is yourself, your surroundings, your environment, education, work, anything like that. It's not, oh, we're going to fix them or change them. No, it's how are we going to accommodate? How are we going to support? How are we going to find services? So I, I and I just love how you remind every time I talk to you, I just love how you remind me and our listeners of that. So besides, okay. So if they're an adult and, um, this, you know, the spouse partner is, is seeking, um, help in getting a a diagnosis besides, you know, a neuropsych who's familiar with FA and B, um, where are some other avenues or, or what are some other things that they should do if they suspect an FA and B, um, for, for their, their loved one. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say, um, the facets training would be a wonderful help to begin to understand differently, um, begin to understand what we're talking about right now, which behaviors that you're observing might really be because of brain differences. What, what, what of, of the behaviors you're observing could be just from chronic stress and frustration and kind of being able to weed out what's the source of the different um, behaviors that you're observing in your relationship with your spouse or in your family dynamic. And then um, what do we do about this, right? Like how, what do we do differently? How can we understand and then respond in a way that will decrease stress and frustration for everyone and ultimately be able to celebrate this person who may have been a source of a lot of frustration and hurt along the way, right? So that's definitely one thing. Um, Also, just as we've said before, the little book by Diane Malbin called Trying Differently Rather Than Harder is a wonderful place to start. It's very easy to read, it's not very long, and um, it'd be a wonderful way for a spouse or anybody else in the family that's interested in the possibility, if we know anything about this person's background. Um, And even if it's not a prenatal alcohol exposure, that little book is relevant to any brain-based condition. Um, And then, Yes, from there, taking the training, reading the book, um, it's kind of a one day at a time, putting the brain-based model into practice in your day-to-day life. And um, at through the FACETS organization, there are people like me that work one-on-one with parents or spouses or whoever wants to be intentional about putting this model into practice in your family Um, that we can journey along with you to help you with that, as well as just um, 
I think the, the educating piece and finding support because, because it's so isolating, um, it's really important that you find either other um, people that are in similar situations as you, like I'm trying to create this group. Um, so reaching out and saying, you know, I, I feel like I need somebody to journey with me on this. Um, and the people you feel safe sharing with to try to create a support. I think um, another really important thing for spouses is, and then I hear this often, is, you know, especially if you have children, it sometimes can feel like your spouse, instead of being like kind of equally yoked and carrying the weight, it can feel like you have another child, right? Like grown up that you need to provide a lot of support to. That is a complicated piece, I think, to sort through. Um, and so being good at taking care of yourself, like making sure you have spaces to get away, to, um, yes, to fill your tank up um, is so important to be able to continue to support and invest in this relationship that may be different than you ever imagined a marriage would be, right? So we'll be sharing those resources and, uh, and again, the facets uh, website and, and links in this episode. Um, and Suzanne, when you get that group formed, let me know so that we can share um, that because that is going to be a group that is going to be resourceful, I'm sure, for many people, especially as they learn more and more. So before we end on our hope takeaway, you mentioned how, and I like to, you know, I, I know that I joke that, you know, sometimes my husband is the biggest kid out of our kids, you know, and, and, and we know that, you know, that can just be, you know, personality, but what effect does FANB have on the children? Because obviously, like you said, they can be that fun parent. They can be that, oh yeah, we do that. But there's a, there's a line between, okay, now we know that, you know, dad's or mom is, is a parent in, in a parent mode. What effect does that husband or wife not having that, um, I guess that developmental maturity to participate with his, his or her spouse, what effect does that have on the children in the family? Right. So this is probably different in every single situation, right? Depending on who the person with FANB is and how severely they're affected. Um, so I'm just going to answer that in general, but knowing that this is not at all like I'm saying this is for every family. I would say probably in general, um, people with FANB do a good job with little children. And, um, and precisely because sometimes of the dismaturity, right? They they are usually playful, fun people. And so often, right, little children, I mean, totally connect to people that are silly and funny. And, you know, they just kind of are on a level of a younger person a lot of times. And so in my experience, in the families that I've observed, this doesn't usually start becoming an issue till children grow up and are maybe starting to become teens or early 20s. 
or maybe even experiencing the stress like of their parents' relationship, um, that things just kind of aren't sinking together, right? Or that mom's really stressed out or there might be conflict um, for different reasons. Um, So I think it's interesting because probably wherever the person on the FANB spectrum, whatever developmental age they're at, once the children kind of pass that developmental age and have the capacity to kind of be more reflective and think, you know, whatever, my dad is so immature. My mom is, oh my gosh, you know, she acts like, um, and so at that point, right, if there isn't this understanding of what's behind some of this, um, yeah, I mean, children can be estranged from their parents because they're sick of it, right? They're sick of their dad impulsively spending money or not being able to hold down a job or sick of, you know, how that affects either dad or mom, depending on who's feels like it, who's carrying the weight, Um But the beautiful thing is, um, I don't think any of this is irreversible. I think once there's understanding, I have seen time and time again, you know, that children, grown children go through this training and it's like, oh my gosh, my dad is on the spectrum or my mom is on the spectrum. No wonder, you know, they had a hard time with this, that, and the other thing. And once again, right, instead of all this anger and frustration, like, I don't want anything to do with you, there can be a whole new space for compassion and forgiveness. And um, wow, you know, I I want a relationship with my mom or dad. And so um, I see that I need to learn and I need to understand what's realistic, right, and my expectations of them and then how to support in these areas that are more difficult. So I think there's always a redeeming piece of this, no matter how long it's gone on without recognizing or how much, it doesn't mean that all the damage that could happen just like is gone, right? But just like any other trauma that we can live through, there can be this whole different way of seeing Um, and understanding and forgiving and compassion um, and really beautiful things can come out of that, that I have seen many times families being restored and healed simply because of the understanding piece of what's behind all of these things that we may be interpreting totally incorrectly. And you are already starting the hope takeaway in that because it's never too late and there is redemption and peace in learning and practicing the NB model. What other final words of hope can you share with our listeners about today's topic? Well, I think I would just like to close with two little beautiful stories of how um, this can Um, this piece of understanding can really change um, a relationship. So one is a couple that um, this was not recognized probably until these two were in their 70s. 
And um, uh, like we've talked about with the couple, anybody who listened to the story that I said, that I told, I think maybe the first episode that I was on about the couple in Costa Rica, um, it's a lot of pieces of frustration, right? In that relationship on many different levels. And then with the understanding that, oh my gosh, maybe this person that I'm married to now for 60 years has always been on the fetal alcohol spectrum and actually has trouble with memory. And this is true too, right? Once people get older, like with dementia and Alzheimer's, so much of the, I mean, all of this applies, but for this particular person, um, he, the, the husband had a really hard time. Like he could never remember the neighbor's names, even though they'd all lived on the street for forever. Right. Um, and, and just pieces, like he couldn't remember, like, um, what are we doing today? What's happening tomorrow? What's happening next week? And so they, this couple created in their seventies, all of these accommodations. So they made like a little map on um, a cupboard in the kitchen of their neighborhood and the houses, and they put the names of the people that live in those houses on that map. And so every time this man was like trying to talk about a neighbor and you know his wife's like, I have no idea who you're talking about. He could just go to this little map and, oh, oh yeah, it's Jane and, Joe or whoever, right? Um, And with their schedule, they figured out that it worked a lot better if they could just print out like the schedule for the week. And every day they would also put that up in the kitchen, like what's happening on Sunday? What are the appointments we have? What are, you know, and some of these are things that all of us do anyway, every day to help us, right? But there's so many little things that for somebody who has a hard time organizing inside their brain that we can organize on the outside, it made such a difference in the way this couple, it decreased a lot of the frustration around these little details that the husband was incessantly asking over and over and over and over again, right? These questions. And then, um, the wife could just say, go look at the map in the kitchen or go look at the schedule wherever we put. Um, And that helped a lot. And then just one other little story of a very um, practical change that made a huge difference after a wife understood that her husband was on a neurobehavioral spectrum. So what I mentioned at the very beginning of this conversation piece, oftentimes for people on the spectrum, it is very overstimulating to like look somebody in the face, into their eyes and have this back-to-back conversation, right? So one of the frustrations that this wife had had for years without understanding that her husband was on the spectrum was around meals. It was a value for her to sit down with her husband and look, you know, across the table and have a nice conversational exchange while they ate. And this never happened. It always ended up in conflict or just, it was so unsatisfying and to the wife. And once she understood what was going on, she decided to try an accommodation where they wouldn't be sitting across from each other, but they would be sitting um, kind of um, 
at the, so her husband was at the end and she was sitting next to him. So they weren't looking at each other. They, they were, they were um, side by side. And she also um, recognized that she also thought she'd try what would happen if she didn't just keep belting out questions like, how was your day? Tell me this. But if she was just kind of quiet and just, just ate and um, it made all the difference in mealtime. Her husband actually started talking and her stress totally decreased because she recognized it wasn't because he didn't want to have a conversation. It was just way too overstimulating to be looking at her face and her like darting him with questions when it was taking him longer to think about what she asked. And she was expecting this immediate response. And so mealtime for them has converted into a pleasant time where her expectations are realistic, where he's in a space where he can share and feel at peace with talking when he's ready and her just changing that whole dynamic. And so those are just two little examples of things that can change in a huge way um, relationships and areas of frustration. So I just want to encourage everybody that this doesn't have to look like huge, gigantic, like what we would call maybe life transforming changes, which it ends up being that, but they're little tiny things that we can change in our day because of understanding what's behind what's going on in somebody's behavior and making little tweaks that can actually help them be who they are and get the support they need. And then in the end, all of our stress and frustration can go down and we can actually enjoy this person that's by our side in a way that maybe we never imagined because we just weren't understanding what they needed to be able to, um, to give or to, to meet some of our expectations in a totally different way. So I think there's always hope and it's never too late to know that somebody we love is on the FANB spectrum and what a difference it can make to understand differently and respond differently to really celebrate who each of us is created to be. So Suzanne, you notched up, you went past hope takeaway and you notched up and now I'm going to call that a hope story hope stories, because those are real lived examples of hope. And I love hearing those stories. And I know you always have these wonderful stories, Suzanne, of people you've worked with and, and people you know that have taken and truly embraced the NB model and how transformative it is. So Everybody, this is why Suzanne is one of my favorite guests, because she just she gives me so much hope in sharing these wonderful stories and experience. And again, just reminding us that it's never too late, never too late. And there is always hope. And you just oh, my goodness, this has been such a wonderful, wonderful episode. And I will definitely have Suzanne back. You know, I will, um, especially when she starts getting that um, that group, that spouse support group up and going. I think that'll be wonderful. So Suzanne Emery of Facets and Created to be Free. Thank you so much for being on FASD Hope and doing this fabulous Facets Friday. 
Thank you, Natalie, for the invitation. I always love sharing here with you. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Becchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and review and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us again next week and remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.